Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flyworld Nation community, go to flyworldnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. There's something about being human that people are fearful that AI will replace. Hmm. My belief is that AI doesn't actually make us less human. It allows us to use our humanness more strategically, more effectively, and more meaningfully. Hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. Because when you're having, you put it as conversations, I call it iterations. Hmm. No one thing is ever perfect. You write the first draft of an article, you're going to get some errors pointed out. And you have to have that feedback loop, that iterative process in order to come up with a solution that's beneficial to all parties. It's the same type of thing here. People who use this stuff strategically, you can start on the generative AI side with text and you can merge it into different fields of media and then combining them together to make a really cohesive strategy that saves you time. And then what your team works on and what you work on isn't staring at a blank page and creating something from scratch. It's staring at a page that is 60 to 80% there and editing and modifying the last 20 to 40% with the things that really make a difference. Welcome back. I hope your week's been awesome so far. I'm really excited to have as my guest on the InnovaBuzz podcast today, Jill Scheffelbein, a former professor, professional speaker and business communication expert. Jill is Chief Experience Officer and Partner at Render Media, a tech startup specialising in creating customised digital likenesses through the use of hyper-realistic avatars. Thriving at the intersections of communication, education and technology, Jill took her experiences teaching and leveraged it into a communication strategy company, The Dynamic Communicator, where she served companies from small brick and mortar businesses to Fortune 50 companies as keynote speaker, trainer, and consultant. Helping businesses find and fill their communication gaps is what Jill does best. A word from Flywell Nation, our sponsor. You're doing great in business, I'm sure. Now, sometimes you might feel like you're missing out on a game-changing connection or some key insights. Well, you can supercharge your success with Flywheel Nation, the community where you can tap into the collective wisdom of amazing high-impact achievers, gain exclusive access to valuable resources and expand your network all within that vibrant community. Experience accelerated growth breakthrough insights, and powerful connections to elevate your business. Secure your spot and transform your journey today. Go to innovabiz.co 
forward slash flywheel to join. In our conversation, Jill takes us on a fascinating journey through the world of emergent technologies. From the evolution of communication to the potential of synthetic media, Jill explores how innovation can drive us forward while providing valuable insights on navigating the ethical implications. Some of the key takeaways for me were that we should look to embrace new technologies and be proactive in communicating their usage to build trust and reduce uncertainty in business and personal interactions. Of course, Jill recommended we utilise synthetic media and AI responsibly by setting up ethical guardrails and implementing clear communication strategies to enhance content delivery. And we should look to explore different contexts and industries to generate innovative ideas and perspectives for problem solving and innovation. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Jill Schiffelbein. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome today to the InnovaBuzz podcast, all the way from Wilmington in North Carolina, the USA, Jill Scheffelwein, who's an award-winning business owner and author and a recovering academic, as she puts it. She's also the Chief Experience Officer and partner at Render Media. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Jill. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest today. It is an honor to get to share with your audience. Now, Mark Hirschberg, who was our guest on episode 565 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So a big hello to Mark. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much. His product is great. His book is great. And the brain bump thing, if you haven't heard about it, everyone, make sure to check out that episode because it's a really cool tool. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's a great resource for repetitive learning and and just in time learning too it's a sort of magical magical tool it isn't conveniently there's a lot of things about ai and synthetic media that can be good assets in that tool for repetitive learning yeah yeah wonderful well you touched on probably the theme of today's conversation which is ai and synthetic media and um, at render i know you've shown me some stuff that just blew me away, which is um, what you specialize in customized <clears throat> digital likenesses of of individuals. So basically an avatar that looks real, <laughs> that looks real. It's, um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more. Well, well, we'll get on to that. But before we do that, uh, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Jill? I really feel if you look at the intersections of communication, education, and technology, that's where my expertise personally can benefit the world through whatever lens it needs to be. I always say the skeleton of what I do doesn't change, but the muscles flex differently based on the situation <laughs> and the parties involved. And so when it comes to what I'm doing now with synthetic media, introducing AI, for me, it's about democratizing access to different resources. Early in my career, it was about democratizing access to education by being uh, an early, early adopter in the online learning space, building courses. I started in 2003 with my first online course and 
then when video communication technology came out, starting to advance on that, working uh, early adoption in Zoom and technologies like that, that before the pandemic weren't well known, right, you know, yeah. we wouldn't be here doing this on the video face to face, you know, even though it'll be released in audio form too, without that technology. And it really just democratized people's access to being able to form relationships with more communication cues, with more relational context. And to me, synthetic media now enables high quality outputs for content for people who before would have had to spend tens of thousands of dollars to organize and coordinate product uh, and content production in a studio, but now you can do it in a fraction of the cost. So it's really about access and opportunity and letting people leverage their expertise for what they're best at. Mm, mm, I love it, yeah. And I mean, you touched on a number of things there. So clearly you've jumped on board these new developments very early on. So 2003 for the first online course. I mean, that was that was probably before I was taking online courses at those. When I first discovered them, I thought, wow, this is cool. You can learn so much and access to materials. Um, uh, let's jump straight into this synthetic media. So um, translate that into kind of everyday language for us so everybody everybody's on the same page. A hundred percent. And I think when people are hearing AI right now, they immediately think of things like ChatGPT, yeah, yeah. for example. But ChatGPT is a small subsection of the broad field of artificial intelligence of AI. It's generative AI. Generative AI is a subsection. And even within that, there's synthetic media that uses AI to produce what we call synthetic outputs. So to break that down, what we are able to do is create a video clone of you and a vocal clone of you. And then by going into an application, you type out a script or copy and paste a script. And then with technology, we can merge all of those things together to produce a video in your digital likeness, like your hyper-realistic avatar that allows you to communicate without ever having to be on camera. And another way to look at synthetic media is when you are generating different types of images and content by typing things into more generative AI things like Dolly and Dolly 2 are some technologies that if you've experimented with open AI at all, you are probably very familiar with them. But now it's advancing to you where you have generative audio and musical scores and B-roll. And it's really, we're at the precipice of being able to form all of these things together, but they're synthetic in that they didn't exist before there was some input. So think of like vegan leather. By nature of the definition of leather and where the term originated, it comes from the hide of an animal. But we want to create synthetic products like vegan leather that mimic the touch and feel of it, but aren't exactly technically the same thing. You can think of synthetic media in that way. With these digital likenesses, it's like you, but it's not the exact same as you. Mm -hmm. So if I understand this correctly, basically, as if I wanted to have one of these digital likenesses built for me, I spend some time with you in, in a video studio. You record some video and audio of me over a period of maybe a day. And then 90 minutes from start to finish, okay. including wow. hair and makeup. Yeah, <laughs> including. <laughs> well, there's not much hair and makeup with, to do with me, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so 90 minutes. And then I have this 
tool, this application, where I can then go onto my keyboard and type in a story or type in a, a presentation, and the tool will then generate me presenting that story or that presentation. Is that correct? Yeah, via video. And so you can see, for example, you know, let's say companies who have a lot of training hmm. that they put out, but that that content changes, right? Maybe you're using software X today, but software X gets an update next month. Hmm. You would need to adjust your training materials. Now, instead of going in and redoing the whole thing, all you do is you take that script that you had, you edit the sentence or two in that script, resubmit it, and you get a fresh new video. Very, very minimal effort to be able to communicate information that needs to be communicated in an efficient way. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I do know that you've shown me a demo of this before. And I know you've got an updated demo, which is much better. So why don't you go ahead and share your screen and, and show us that? And apologies to those people who are just listening to this. Don't, don't um, turn on the video if you're driving the car. Wait until you get back home. <laughs> But it is definitely not. And we'll give you, sorry, we'll give you a link yeah. that you can go click and watch the video later so you can see it. But you'll actually hear my voice in multiple languages, yeah. which is possible through this synthetic media transition of AI. Let's just get it open here. And when Sie mit Menschen in Ihrer Muttersprache kommunizieren können, können sie ihre Wertschätzung für ihre Kultur zeigen. La mayoría de nosotros no podemos hablar con fluidez en varios idiomas. Mais en tirant parti des médias synthétiques et de l'intelligence artificielle, nous le pouvons. This is just one example of how technology can help us be more human together. That is, uh, that is absolutely amazing. And for those people that were just listening to that, uh, you probably can tell that is Jill's voice. I saw the image, it's actually Jill on the camera speaking to me, speaking to the lens. Quite amazing. And what's crazy is I I can speak Spanish okay, but I can't do any yeah, yeah. of the other stuff. And it's amazing because I will tell you, even six months ago, where we were at with voice technology and being able to produce one's voice in multiple languages at a level that the average consumer, average business person, even solo business person could afford was not even there six, definitely not 12 months ago, mm -hmm. but within the last six months, we've now gotten it to a point where instead of saying, well, sure, I can have your avatar speak Spanish, but it's going to be some generic yeah, female yeah. voice paired with your likeness. Now it's actually your voice. And that is how quickly all of this is coming along. Mm -hmm. And and it's quite amazing. And there was there were two sentences in German there, and I can verify that they were spoken absolutely correctly in Hochdeutsch <laughs> with uh, correct grammar and no no discernible accent at all. So quite amazing. So if that's the case for for all the languages, I mean, that, that just opens up so many opportunities. It is amazing. And with any artificial intelligence, anything generative, anything synthetic media, the output is only going to be as good as the input, mm. right? So the quality of your video clone matters. So you can have a synthetic version of yourself that you shoot on a webcam that will turn out very grainy. You won't have as much movement. It won't be as realistic. And the same with your voice. You can submit files remotely. 
But if you are in business and you're trying to innovate with this, you're trying to find efficiencies and create a better customer experience, a better learning process for your team, whatever it may be, we know that quality matters mm. and it's very important to be able to get that together and you'll be able to hear the differences in the voice, especially when you do things like that. And we know that communicating in one's native tongue, if you're able to, changes everything yeah. in how they're able to accept your message. So you have to get the translation right. The AI in our software doesn't do the translation for you because that opens up a legal loophole we don't want to touch. But there are so many AIs already that exist that do translations mm. for you. But it's always good to check with someone who's a native speaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see how it does on a really long presentation because the uh, I know I struggle sometimes. I, I've had people ask me to translate things from English into German or vice versa. And I struggle sometimes to express it in a coherent, grammatically correct and engaging way. And at the same time, bring in the exact meaning and the exact voice of the person who who's asked me to translate who you know whose voice I want to actually project through that so there's a hell of a lot there in terms of a translation that's that when I'm doing it as a person I make a lot of judgment calls and yeah. and filter it through my own biases obviously uh, which I wonder how the the artificial intelligence, the tool that's actually doing the translation, deals with all those little nuances. And it's all about how the models are trained. Hmm. You know, any AI system is only good as the models that it's trained on. Yeah. And, you know, inherent in that is bias, of course, too. And so what I always recommend to people using any type of synthetic media, like video clones, vocal clones, generative artwork, music, etc., is if you are only relying on that piece of synthetic mm. media to carry the weight of your content, I don't think that that's the best strategy. And it's the exact same way as unless you are the most dynamic speaker and storyteller, you're not going to get up on a stage at a conference with no visual aids, no mm. slides, no anything else, and deliver an hour presentation. No, you're going to have things that help break that up. Now, there are a few very, very powerful storytellers in this world that you would listen to intently for an hour, but think of it, if you could even name one or two, that's pretty good because they are few and far mm. between. And even some of the best ones will still use visuals yeah. to enhance their story because as humans, we learn with auditory stimuli. We learn, most of us, with visual stimuli and then also tactile, hands-on kinesthetic stimuli. And so we need to be conscious of that, that this is not just a shortcut for boom, being able to produce mm. something and then getting upset when it doesn't work well, when you never would have done that same thing with just a person anyway. So mm. we need to think this is a tool in our arsenal of communication, of learning delivery, of content delivery, of information delivery, but the other rules of delivering information and wanting it to be learned and consumed still apply. You're just shortcutting part of the process by not having to have a human physically present in a hmm. studio to get their likeness represented. Yeah. I um that's that's a really important point and it's kind of in um yeah, the whole computer space back, way back in the 80s when the PCs first came there was this term that came up that's still with us today garbage in garbage out, right? And and I keep thinking of that when when I'm using ChatGPT for example, it it it's 
uh, garbage in, garbage out. The uh, and and I never rely on what it gives me back. But the other thing that I've started trying to explain to people is the basis for many of these models is the um, the information, the content that they're based on that they've learnt from was actually human generated. So, for example, if you take ChatGPT, and for those people that have said to me, wow, ChatGPT, it doesn't work, it doesn't give good answers, um, after I've gotten past the garbage in, garbage out part, I say, well, you've, have you ever had a conversation with it? Uh, because it's all trained on human inputs. And if I um, go to a person, if I say to you, Jill, um, question, and then I just take the first short answer you give me at face value, um, that doesn't give me the same depth of value, the same information as if I then said to you, well, explain that to me some more. Um, and if if the conversation is along the lines of, can you, can you write me a blog post, for example, and, and you do that, well, in the blog post in your language, obviously, if I then say, well, I don't like the way you've expressed this, can we change that? I don't like the way you've said that. I actually, that's actually factually incorrect. Can we modify that to make it factually correct? Because here's some additional information that I probably should have told you up front. If you have that kind of conversation with the chat GPT, you'll be amazed at the kind of output you can get. When I am asked to explain this to people, uh, ChatGPT even, right? Yeah. And I, I would love to go kind of now how you combine ChatGPT with synthetic media mm -hmm. and maybe databases and then really leverage the power of all of this. But what we don't understand, and I love that you brought up like the garbage in, garbage yeah. out. And I'm like, hello, world, way back <laughs> in early computer days. <laughs> but you look at this and... When you think of GPT, um, one of the acronyms for it, there's a couple depending on which lens you look at it as, but GPT can stand for Generative Predictive Text. Mm. And you may be like, wait, what's that? But we've all actually experienced it. Mm. We experience it every single day when we send a text message exactly. on our phones yeah. and you start to type in a word and you know three or four words that are possible pop up for you to click on. GPT is quite literally word by word predicting what the next logical thing is with context. And you'll notice that if you're writing a very short message, the predictions on your phone are yeah, maybe garbage. 50, 50 yeah. best. But if you're writing more than one or two sentences in that same message, hmm. there's more context for it to build hmm. from and it starts to get more accurate in what it's you know suggesting for your next word. And the same thing is true of these models. It's the same exact thing as when we first started indexing information on the internet. How did we search? Initially, we searched by a key word, singular, mm. right? And then, oh my goodness, Boolean search came along, right? Mm. When it was like word and word. And what happened? Our results got better. Then it evolved even more so it could understand syntax with questions or location-based things for near me. And then it got to the point where Instead of just suggesting multiple possible answers for it, the answers being the websites that you'd go to, it actually evolved what we call zero-click search, which is when you search Google for something and there's a paragraph answer at the top of the screen 
that's given to you right there, and then a website underneath it for context, but you don't even have to click on anything to sometimes see the answer. That's how that evolved. Programming evolves in a similar way. Again, with more data, with more context, with more user inputs, we can predict things better. Hmm. Hmm. That's a um, great analogy, the, the whole evolution of the search thing. And in some ways, this whole um, last 12 or so months has reminded me a lot of those early days of the search engines where people were saying, oh, this is no good, this is useless. And um, I, I was certainly excited by what the possibility was here, having access to this sort of massive database, this library that just getting in there. And I remember pre Google thinking, I wish there was a search engine that could actually really deliver you the, the answers that you actually want. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, I discovered Google in 1997, um, mid-97, so that would have been very early on. And I, th yeah, I thought, wow, this is, um, this is cool. And I sort of jumped on board and, and the excitement that's around today and also the, the level of discussion and the level of controversy as well uh, does remind me of those times. And I think, I wonder if it's going to be the same trajectory. How, how do you see that? There's been a lot of talk about making, it's kind of analogous, right? So when the internet first came out, hmm. People were a little freaked out by it in many ways. And in fact, even in the early 2000s, when our governments were trying to legislate it, right, and build rules and restrictions around it, like, it, you know, in the U.S., just what happened last week with the first hearing mm -hmm. where Sam Altman, OpenAI founder, you know, went in and, you know, chatted. You had people who really didn't understand it trying to make rules to govern it. And my the most famous quote from that time in the early 2000s on the Internet is Ted Stevens, you know, who was then a representative from Alaska, saying that so the Internet, it's like a series of tubes. <laughs> and these are the people trying to make rules to yeah, adjudicate yeah. and govern what we're doing. And the thing is, now there's this big push on all of this and how are we looking at it? How are we afraid of it? Or how are we using it? And again, even the people developing it at this point don't fully understand mm. its potential. And they're learning more and more every day. And this is not putting them down. They're brilliant, mm. brilliant. But the momentum of this is different. And the technology we have today that can disseminate information yeah, that's... is much more widespread and much quicker. So you're hearing about the evolution in different ways. So for me, it's not anything to be feared. It's something to be curious about because it is here, just like the internet is here to stay, hmm. right? AI in generative AI sense, AI has been around for decades and decades and decades and decades, but generative AI as we know it today is here to stay. It's where it's going to go. And a lot of people say, oh, well, search engines are going to become obsolete. And there's kind of, you know, mm -hmm. I had this set at a conference and I'm just kind of sitting in the back seeing how people react. And I'm like, I completely disagree. Hmm. Because the indexing of information, especially the cataloging of new information as it's entered, has to be done in some way. The databases right now in generative AI are not keeping up with that at all because it's a very, very tall order. And so you kind of have two ways of looking about it. And just like Google searches over the years got better, it's because there was more user data. Hmm. You would search for something and 10,000 other people would search it. And of those 10,000 people, 9,000 of them stayed on site X 
more than they did site A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way before that. So then site X slowly rose to the top and our data became more accurate. Same thing now. I don't think search is going away. How we search is going away. Mm -hmm. We've seen search evolve from a keyword to a keyword and a keyword to a whole phrase to us now asking questions. Now, my strong hypothesis in kind of the syntax language is now we're moving to demands. Hmm. And we're not being polite about it sometimes either. <laughs> Poor computers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I, um, one of the presentations I do about uh, ChatGPT, I say um, treat it as a conversation because that's that's where you actually get the most value out of it, I see. And I say, and it doesn't hurt to practice kindness because that's just a good habit to get into. <laughs> Because well, we because if you yeah, yeah because I've I've um gone back to well the example I gave earlier so in ChatGPT if you point out this this is factually incorrect can you please uh, change that here's some additional information or here's this this is actually the the correct fact and it will come back and it will say I'm sorry for my error or I'm sorry for the misunderstanding so it apologises so it's it's kind of very polite and very very uh friendly so you might as well practice kindness <laughs> and i've gone back um and i've said oh this is wonderful <laughs> and and then just left it at that hit enter and it and it responds in a way i'm glad you liked it <laughs> i think there's there is something about being human that people are fearful that ai will replace Hmm. And my belief is that AI doesn't actually make us less human. It allows us to use our humanness more strategically, more effectively, and more meaningfully. Hmm. And that's powerful. Yeah. Because when you're having, I like you put it as conversations, I call it iterations. Hmm. No one thing is ever perfect. You write the first draft of an article, you're going to get some errors pointed out. You're going to have something pointed out. And you have to have that feedback loop, that iterative process in order to come up with a solution that's beneficial to all parties. And it's the same type of thing here. And people who use this stuff strategically, you can start on the generative AI side with text, but then you can start to merge it into different fields of media and then combining them together to make a really cohesive strategy that saves you time. And then what your team works on and what you work on isn't staring at a blank page and creating something from scratch. It's staring at a page that is 60 to 80% there and editing and modifying yep. the last 20 to 40% with the things that really make a difference. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's that that first 60 to 80% that where the huge time savings then is. And, and also, I find a lot, I have lots of random thoughts and different things and then to structure those thoughts, that's that's where, first of all, it's sometimes it's a struggle for me. Sometimes those sorts are so random that I can't structure them. I don't even recognize that there's a potential structure there. Whereas a conversation with ChatGPT all of a sudden will structure some of those things. And then I'll go, oh, there's, there's an article here or there's a training program here or that. And then, then I can work on that. But to get to that point of recognizing that, hey, all these random thoughts actually can be crystallized into this potential product, potential presentation, potential blog post, whatever it might be, um, that's where I think the, a, a lot of value can be um, can be gotten from the generative AI too. Yeah, and I think what I feel people are doing poorly right now, and I call it like you're just taking a bunch of spaghetti and you're hurling <laughs> at a wall, 
and you're like, all right, is any one of these noodles going to stick? And you know what? If you sauced one up enough, it just might. Mm. But it, they don't. They slip down and fall down the wall and through the cracks, and it's a big mess. And that's what a lot of people are doing when they're playing with generative AI, when they're playing with synthetic media. We even have people, you know, on render side that, you know, they, they got their avatar. They spent the time and the money to get it created, and they tried it in one situation, and they're like, this doesn't mm. work that's not how this process works. You need to come into, you can experiment and play, that's yeah, perfectly yeah. fine, and I am curious as heck, and that's a good thing, but if you don't come into approaching using artificial intelligence, using synthetic media with a roadmap for yourself, hmm. and how it's going to be used, you're setting yourself up for failure in the first place, because most people, and most business owners for that matter, and even most business units within a business cannot articulate for me, if I come up, and I say, I want you to articulate for me from before you actually have a conversation with a client or an employer, whatever it is, to when they exit, when that purchase is finalized or when they exit your ecosystem, what is every single category of touch point along the way? And then furthermore, break that down into communicative touch points and tell me what channel you use, tell me type type of messaging you use. And people aren't able to articulate that. So people call and ask me for a consult in like communication strategy and the future of communication. And I say, well, first, if your data set is not in order, your fundamental processes cannot be articulated, hmm. you're not going to be effective applying a new tool on top of it because you have faulty processes to begin with. So the most successful people with any of this are people who say, here's my problem. For example, you know what, I am uh, a consultant, an entrepreneur in the space of resiliency, right? So a, a client that I work with and resilience means different things in different industries at different points in time. So as the analogy I used earlier with my content from like a communicative lens, my skeleton, the theories don't change, but how it flexes, how those are applied are different with every industry, the different players, the different situations, context, points in time. So now, Instead of creating new courses for all of this, you spend the money, time, and real Jill, or, you know, real client in this case, goes into the studio and produces the skeleton of their content, those strong points that aren't going to change, the things that truly are evergreen. And then you would use digital Jill, in this analogy, my synthetic avatar, to what we call white label in the U.S. It's a branding term, right? Um, each of these instances, so now your digital guide is walking clients in real estate through resiliency after the interest rates mm. just spiked. It's walking travel advisors through resiliency once COVID happened and the world got shut down. It's walking healthcare professionals through resiliency when we're in month six of COVID and systems are still overrun and we're dealing with all this or when a new system comes up where you can see how this works. But now instead of recreating everything, you're actually customizing what matters. So you're saving yourself time. And then instead of just delivering this generic course on resiliency to your clients, you're now able to customize it for each of them, adding personalization and customization that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise, which just makes it more human mm. for everyone by adding that technology in there. Mm. Yeah, that's the possibilities uh, endless, aren't they? And it's, it's astounding what you can do with it. And you said something there about customization. I mean, one of the things that I do quite a lot is reaching out to people on video and sending them a personalized video. And that that is so appreciated. Now, if you imagine um, having, uh, let's say you've got a, a software product and you have an onboarding process where you welcome people 
you could actually mm-hmm. set it up. I imagine you can even do this like you can you can use email marketing programs to send dear Jill, welcome on board and Jill and and depending on the input you've given, you can actually I can actually then say Jill, um, you said you are an advanced user of this software, so here's some tips for advanced users. Uh, now imagine doing that on video with Dear Jill. Hi Jill, I'm Jurgen. I'm the founder of this company. I just wanted to welcome you on board, and so on. That would be so powerful. Even even if people know it's it's your avatar, but it's still the thing that we do as humans. So I have two paths I want to go down here really quick. And one of them, one of them is a little neuroscience path. So allow my neuro, you know, inner neuroscientists like 0.101 neuroscience here to come out, which is our brains are fundamentally wired to reduce uncertainty, Hmm. right? It's, it's survival, right? Something changes our environment. What's going to happen? We're going to look around. It's the same thing as if you're sitting at a dinner with people and everyone leaves their phone face up and any one of those phone lights up, all of our eyes immediately go to that phone because it's a change in stimulus in the environment. Once our brains realize, oh, we're safe, we're fine, we immediately go back to whatever the conversation is it has or taking the next bite of your delicious meal, whatever that may be. But when we have a change in environment, that happens. So when it comes to you know, dealing with any of the stuff, we are about reducing uncertainty. And that's why when Let's say you've never met someone in person ever. You've only heard their voice or better yet, you've only communicated via text, via email. And the first time you pick up the phone and hear their voice, you have a little dissonance there. There's this disconnect because the tone that you envisioned was not the tone that came out. The same thing as when you then meet someone virtually via video. And this happened a lot via Zoom, right? The person you saw was not who you had pictured in your mind, because even as inconsequential as something that that is, Our brains are filling in our gaps. Our brains are always filling in our gaps to help us reduce the uncertainty load that we have. And that's why now after COVID, when people have met in person, they're like, wow, you're much taller or shorter (laughs) or whatever than I thought you would be, right? Because our brains filled in that gap for us to make that complete picture. So if you've not had video presence with people, your digital representation is helping to fill in some of those gaps, Hmm. which is a powerful thing because it reduces the uncertainty load that a brain is dealing with. So take that now and then take then the personality of reinforcement, right? We know that psychologically we do business with or we are more likely to follow through Hmm. on behaviors requested from people we know, like, and trust. Think of this in, in the medical field with doctors. Think of people who are going into the ER for something and they get seen, but then they leave and what do they leave with? Like some flimsy paperwork at best, right? And what does happen? It either ends up in the trash, left in a car, maybe in a bin, maybe it gets recycled at like the most, and for the most diligent among patients, it's on the refrigerator or something. So it's constantly Mm. examined. But what if now, and this is the true power when you bring all these things together with databases like Think of like the mail merge you used to do when you had an Excel address book and you clicked a button in Microsoft and it populated all the mail labels for your holiday cards. So you didn't have to write them out anymore. It was brilliant. Well, think of that. But now you have all this data that you have a basic follow up script. You know, uh, Jill, we sure hope you're feeling better. You know, insert first name when you were seen, insert date and time that they were seen. You, the concern was, insert concern, 
you know, you saw, you know, Dr. So, you know, you saw, you know, me, the real me, hmm. Dr. So-and-so. And I wanted to remind you that it is very important to insert one, two, three follow-up care things hmm. that are now being delivered via text message with the likeness, you know, someone's likeness yeah. right there in front of you. Yeah. I don't know for sure because once I finished the dissertation research I'm doing now, so was in academia for 12 years, now decided to go back to it to really study this more. Uh, you know, my next big study is hopefully a healthcare system test because I think then that leverages the power for good on so many different levels. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great example of of what can be done and the power of it. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on and Obviously, things are evolving so rapidly here. I, I, and you mentioned earlier about the technology that we have these days that's disseminating this information and, and not just disseminating the information, but getting people on board to help develop and help kind of take this development in directions that even the, um, the original inventors, for example, of ChatGPT or of uh, the OpenAI people couldn't have envisaged because it's People are taking it in all kinds of different directions. The the one question in my mind that I, I wanted to kind of ask you and see what, what your thought thoughts are on this is, um, and I can't remember who said this. Where with great power comes great responsibility. So yes, there's these things are so powerful. There's so much can be done with them. And clearly, mm -hmm. it would be really easy to do something very evil with these things. How do we, how do we bring in that responsible thinking across the board? I mean, maybe this is sort of an impossible ask, but how do we kind of get this responsible thinking into, into the general population? And so let's, Let's all work together to kind of really leverage this for good all across the, the board. I think first and foremost, if we stop innovating out of fear, all the nefarious mm. actors are going to far surpass us. So that's that's a non-negotiable. That's a non-option. Period. End of story from my perspective. But what guardrails can we put in place? Mm. What ethical guardrails or moral guardrails, you know, whatever word you want to use for me. It's really about thinking what guardrails are in place for other areas of our life. So we will get an email that's from someone with zero proof that that person actually typed it. Mm. Zero proof. And in many cases, in the case of many executives, for example, they're not typing a single one of these emails. Mm. But yet we believe it to be from them. Yeah. So how different really is it then from, let me take the avatar example, like the virtual presentation of myself, who I didn't actually physically say those words, but I or one of my representatives type those mm. words. And so we've had the same fundamental issues of potential misrepresentation for decades and decades and decades. I mean, ever, ever since anyone could write and you could claim writing, yeah. you know, handwriting analysis was such a big field for a period of time in our history for this exact same reason. So these problems are not new. These questions are not new. And with every piece of technology that's evolved for communication in this case, those doubts have been there. So now it's really one making people understand that, no, this really isn't new. Hmm. It's a different manifestation of things that we've had throughout history. That's number one. But the number two is to be proactive in identifying it. For me personally, every video that my avatar is in, I have context for it or I have my avatar tell people it's an avatar. Hmm. Maybe it's a, the digital likeness of author when I use it for my articles, Jill Schiffelbein. 
or in the case that I just showed you, it's on a page that has, this is the synthetic media, you know, it talks about it. I believe that there is going to be some type of digital verification standard, whether it's NFT-like or, you know, something mm. new that gets developed that's a little more cost-effective to produce in a, you know, rapid way and without all the, the mining, et cetera, that will use as that. It's the same thing as type of a watermark on a video. It's the same thing as when you go on social media and you see the blue check mark next to someone's name and they are who they say they are, right? We have these things in place in all areas of our life. We just need to not be freaking out that this yeah, is new yeah. and different because fundamentally it is not new and different. Yeah, it's right. a different manifestation of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's really, I hadn't thought of it in that light uh, because when you said that, I thought, well, you know, we're still debating um, or, or there's still conversations happening around uh, famous authors or famous uh, playwrights going back hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years. I mean, there's a, there's, I've seen conversations or writings where people said, well, did, was it really Plato's work or did he plagiarize somebody else's work? And, and so, so yeah, there's a, these open questions. So the, the potential for that kind of thing happening, it has always been there. Um, so I, I really like, yeah, how, what, what guardrails can we put in place? And then coming back to what you said earlier, it's unfortunate that, the people that are kind of making rules around this uh, have no idea or have a very limited understanding of of the technology itself and, and the applications that that we can happen. I'm sort of reminded of, um, and this is only going back about eight years or so, um, where in Australia they were uh, debating whether or not to um, lay optical fibre cable throughout the country so that we can get a faster faster internet and and the some of the comments coming from government circles around well why would you need a faster internet it's only for people to watch their porn movies or so on and and i thought what <laughs> these people have a really crazy understanding of what the internet's about it's you know, it's really interesting when you look at all of this. I spoke at a conference last week on, um, and it was on a panel on emerging technologies. And the moderator asked a question about fear. And I said, I want to describe for all of you a technology. And I want you to think of a technology that allows you to communicate information in a more efficient way than you could do before that really kind of had a reservoir, if you will, from which information could more easily flow. Mostly on the surface, that sounds pretty good. And that this new technology would be able to help you communicate and let your messages be heard in different ways because it enabled a different type of spread of information. You could be describing anything. And I built that narrative on the 19, or sorry, 1809 patent of the ink reservoir in the pen. Yeah. Because information then was quite literally the data conveyed through ink hmm. that turned into words, which turned into meaning that then got spread. It's the same thing. We have bits and bytes in this reservoir that's here that are coming into information and trickling down. But throughout history, Every advancement has been questioned, has been feared, has been used for good and for ill. So for me, it's everyone take a breath. If this 
is intimidating at all, it's okay. Take a breath and don't let your intimidation cloud your judgment on what is fundamentally human. And to the companies now and the individuals and businesses, thought leaders, etc., who are saying, I know I need to use this. My biggest advice is be proactive and get ahead of the curve, not in the usage, but in communicating your usage. One of the most mm. brilliant pieces of email that I've gotten in the past week was from a, a business brokerage that said, this newsletter was written completely by our human writers, though sometimes we may treat them like robots. <laughs> and I thought it was the most brilliant way to say, this is not some chat GPT output, but we may overwork our writers. There was a little humor added mm. in. And that's what I have seen in the communication with my avatar, with any form of synthetic media, when I've been proactive of saying how something was generated, instead of it being feared or, oh, well, that's not the real Jill. People are curious about it mm. because their brain has uncertainty reduced right away. And, oh, within a month, I'll be able to tell you if that's actually factual yeah, yeah. with data from over 300 people watching some synthetic media content of one that discloses it's an avatar and one that doesn't to see how people react. So I will have to share that with you so you can append it to the links here on this show. Excellent. Yeah, we look forward to that data because I'm, I'm uh, of the view that I think that's good practice to actually. So I've started. Um, well, actually, I've only written one blog post with, um, no, I've written two. I've had in the early, very early days, I just had a conversation with ChatGPT. And I just, um, in fact, we're about to move on to the buzz round, our innovation round. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I did a buzz round with ChatGPT and so see what it did? And, and then, you know, I, I didn't do much with that. I just asked the question, got the answer and then reported on that in the blog post and wrote the blog post. But uh, so I made it clear that this was a conversation with ChatGPT. And then I've written another one recently about um, uh, just proper use of ChatGPT. And I uh, outlined a case study that I'd done with it. Uh, and I said at the top, this, the, this article was written by me as the author in conjunction with ChatGPT. So I actually stated that right up up the top so it'd be interesting I, I just think that's good practice to say that because as as if if you and i were to collaborate on an article and i would publish it on my blog well then i would attribute that that it's a joint jointly authored article so i thought well i'll follow that practice my rule of thumb is you can never go wrong with giving credit yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say never. You could hardly, very rarely ever <laughs> go wrong with giving credit. Yeah. Even it doesn't take away anything from you to give someone else credit. Hmm. Even if it's a machine. <laughs> Even if it's yeah. a machine. Well, we all need a helping hand sometimes. That's right, yeah. All right. Well, this is wonderful. Uh, we could go on ages down this path, but I think it's a good point now. I, I alluded to the buzz, so let's move on to the buzz, our innovation around the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the idea is you'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome as a result today. So, you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's get buzzing. Yeah. All right. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Be more curious. Be more curious. Yeah. Love it. And that, that's... Period. End of yeah, story. That's come through. And that there's opportunities to be curious there with all these new tools. So, explore, try out. And those people end up being ahead of the curve in many ways, right? They do because they're not afraid to fail. Hmm. 
you're not using it for something of massive consequence, go in, try it, be curious. When it doesn't work, not say, well, this doesn't work. Yeah. Ask, why didn't yeah. it work? Could I have done something differently? And then proceed. Hmm. Which is taking that curiosity to the next level, right? So not it not, is like you know there's that saying of the five whys yeah. right keep asking why 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 until you get to the root cause you can do the same thing with curiosity mm. wonderful love the exam uh, the analogy yeah all right what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas i could give you the same exact <laughs> answer but i think that would be cheating a little bit i think one of the best things that i've done for new ideas is to try to place whatever something is in multiple fields or multiple mm. industries so if I am looking at, um, uh, let me see, I'm grabbing something from my desk, my little Bluetooth speakers, right? And I am looking at these and saying, what benefit do these have? And then I always give it a context or a situation. So what benefit do these have to people in an office space? What people, you know, what benefit do they have to people on airplanes, which is exactly why I bought them, you know, what benefit could they have to people in hospitals? Because in applying something and thinking about something to different situations, most of the time you will have an innovation or a thought that hadn't occurred to you before. Mm. And so it's the same type of thing as maybe if it's not a situation, maybe it's an audience. You could do something like, you know, how would I explain what these are to a kindergartner? How would I explain what these are to a 40 year old? And how would I explain what these are to a 90 year old? Right. And being able to articulate things in different ways. And then the same thing could be done with industry. Uh, Jeff Jarvis in, I think it was like 2009, wrote this book called What Would Google Do? And he applied what Google would do as a thinking organization to healthcare, to government, to, uh, I mean, publishing industry, to all these different things. And it was a great way of innovation for me. And that lesson stuck with me forever is, Take whatever it is, but apply it in different contexts or different audiences or in different industries because your ideas are going to be able to be solidified faster and you may find things you didn't know you were looking for. Mm, I love that. That That is so brilliant. I, and I encourage everybody to listen back to that answer again because I think there's the, the idea uh, or the thought that crossed my mind as you were explaining that is that when you put it into a context or in uh, apply it to different audiences it basically brings in another set of information that you have probably unconscious and at some point there'll be some dots that connect we always we are in our worlds hmm. right and that's why people hire outside consultants like this is how i've built a business up because they need an outside perspective on what they're hmm. doing for that reason and i was just chatting with my chief product officer in render earlier today and he was saying one thing and I said, listen, this is absolutely true for you and the people that you hang around with who can code in their sleep. This is not true of the general population. So how would you explain what you're trying to do here to, you know, an elementary school teacher, mm -hmm. to your daughter's, you know, soon to be your daughter's preschool teacher? And, you know, he had to step back and he's like, okay, you're right. So now let's talk about where that middle is so we can do both. And I said, yes, now we're talking. And it was a brilliant conversation because we have to get out of our own lens in order to truly innovate. Mm. Yeah, love it. All right, now what's a favorite resource you use most often? A board of advisors, a personal board of advisors. Mm -hmm. 
And this is something that has taken many, many years to cultivate. And I call on people for different things, but I will never make a consequential decision in my life without at least bringing in one outside person. And I have different people for different aspects of my personal life and for my business life. And so I think it's not some shortcut resource, but I think it's something that you have to be very conscious about cultivating around you to get people who do not think like you, Mm. to get people who will push back to you and to get people who will challenge you and question you. And sometimes the only purpose of maybe one person is I know that this person asks the best questions and that's why I'm going to choose to bring them in on this conversation. But we all need those resources around us because we can't do it all in our own heads. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, it comes back to things we were talking about earlier, the conversations that we have as humans and, and the value in those conversations and to have that diversity and and, and also um, um, I'm making the assumption here that it's important that those people are people you trust and there's a strong relationship there so that they can uh, ask challenging questions, they can um, kind of steer you if that if that's it might not be the right word, but yeah, ask challenging questions and say, really, is that do you really want to go down that path? Yeah. And within that, the next caveat that I say is the next step up, and it's something that I. I think I got my people, I did that well, and then something I learned later, and this is kind of your phase two, if you will, put parameters on what you're asking, meaning what you're asking them also needs to be very specific. So I might, you know, be having a, you know, a personal issue in my dating life, for example. And so I have my go-to friends that I call for that, my go-to advisors on that. And most of us have people like that in our lives, right? But if you really think about it, you will call different friends for different reasons. Mm. But what I will do is I will say, I know you understand some of the context. I am going to give you some more of the context. And what I want to know is nothing more than, and I am very specific about what I want them to answer. And if they start to deviate from that, I stop them. And we have permissions for this, right? And I say, if you deviate, I'm going to stop you because I want to get to this. Once we get to this, then we can go off on the rabbit hole hunt. (laughs) But right now, this is the one thing I need to focus on. And you have to be very aware of yourself. Mm. I mean, maybe a you know, personal dating life example hits too close to home for some people, but it's the same thing with the business problem. Any problem is fundamentally human. And you have to be able to ask the right questions. So for me, if I'm just asking general questions, I'm not going to waste one of my board of advisors' time. I go to them when I have very specific questions, and I also tell them exactly why I went to them instead of someone else. So it really puts them ready to be able to advise and assist in the right mm. way. Yeah, there's a lot in that. It's it's it comes back to what we were saying earlier about garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> Full circle yeah, yeah. moment. We got there. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a project on track? I think this was the most difficult <laughs> of all of the questions, but. When I actually zoomed out and was not thinking in terms of necessarily innovation, but project management, the one thing that I feel most teams fail to do, and I fail to do it with myself many times, is to set clear and agreed upon expectations. Most of the time, if you're leading a project, you may go in leading a project and say, here are the deliverables, here are the timelines we need to hit. And there's many times where I see this in businesses often that we don't often communicate the expectations and then communicating why these times are 
timelines are important or why these expectations are important. So if you're going to keep a project on track, it's having this baseline set of agreed upon expectations that when someone deviates, you can call them out and, you know, say, you're going, we agreed that this would be done in this manner. And instead of pointing a finger and blame, I asked what happened to change that? Mm. And there may be a real reason that something changed and you'll find that out and go on. But you need to ask the questions, but you have to set the expectations because if you don't, you can't blame someone for doing it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And setting the expectations up front and making sure they're really spelled out comes back a little bit to what you were saying earlier about the board of advisors to set the parameters and and don't leave it open to interpretation or to drawing conclusions because, as you also said, in our conversation, uh, we're wired, our brains are wired to fill in the gaps. And so if we leave a lot of right. gaps there, we fill in the gaps and what we fill it in with may or may not be right. Or, or the two or the five team members fill in the gaps with their own interpretation and those five interpretations are all different. <laughs> Very much so. And I think, you know, the phrase, I wish I would have coined it, but I didn't. Someone else did, but I don't know who. So credit to whomever did is, you know, creativity thrives under constraints. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Innovation is a form of creativity. Innovation does not happen without constraints in place. Mm. So if you're not clearly defining the constraints, a.k.a. the expectations, you're not setting yourself up to be the most creative, the most innovative, or the most efficient in any endeavor. Mm. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, final question to the buzz round. What's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Own your uniqueness huh. and don't try to be in a box. Yeah. And this goes back to my very early career. My very first business that I started was doing professional presentation coaching for executives and then professional athletes. You know, in the communication space, still a little far cry from what I do now. And the number one problem that people came up with was that they were trying to fit themselves into a box of what was supposed to be. You are setting yourself up for failure immediately when you try to do that. People told me that I would never be a successful speaker because I spoke too fast and I had too much energy. <laughs> I'd like to show them my PL yeah, now, yeah, you know, yeah. like, no, like this can't happen because I owned it. I admit it. I tell people. Be prepared. Hope you brought your rain jackets. We have a fire hose coming today, but I would much rather give you more information that you can then choose bits and pieces to follow up on than only give you one key idea that may or may not resonate. That is my style. That's why these organizers brought me in. So buckle up. Let's get ready to go. And you set that expectation, mm -hmm. tying that back in, and then you proceed. And to be successful, to be truly innovative, you have to bring your full self to the table if you want to stand out because that's why you're at that table in the first place and we do our best to not compare ourselves to others even though that's very hard not perfect at it either and to not be afraid to be the reason why people brought you in in the first place which is you hmm. yeah there's so much uh, gold in that and it's it does require everyone to do some self-reflection on what are my strengths, what are my unique characteristics, and okay, I'm going to own those. How can I use those? How can I bring those to the table in a way that adds value to the table, adds value to the other kind of participants at the table? 
And I think if you come with that it's, mindset, it's it's really good. Now, you have to have some self-confidence in that too because I know for a long time I I suffered from the old, good old imposter syndrome. You know, am I good enough? Do I belong at this table? Um Am I worthy of being at this table? Day, that day. sort of thing. Yeah, no, it still happens. <laughs> it still happens. Uh, but but knowing it and and saying, oh, hang on a minute, I'm I'm having uh, doubts here. And why, why am I having doubts? Um, is a good practice to do. And then coming back and saying, okay, I'm just going to be myself, be human. You know, in the last book that I have, uh, there's a chapter on. I think it's in the last book. I have to look this up or it's an article or something. But I did a chapter on a tool that many people know in business, which is the SWOT analysis, mm. SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But I take it one step further when you're managing teams or building a team and deciding how to do it, I actually challenge people to do what I call a P-SWOT, which is a personal SWOT. And it, you, you teed me up perfectly for this <laughs> because it quite literally is not only what's the strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threat from a business perspective, then what is each person's personal strength, personal weaknesses, personal opportunities, and personal threats? And really, that is the examination of yourself. So if you're considering taking on a project or a client or whatever it may be, sure, you can do the SWOT from a business analysis perspective, but doing a P-SWOT, a personal SWOT to really investigate if this is the right fit gives you some of that consciousness that you were mm. just talking about. And it really helps you, again, realize why you are at the table in the first place. Mm. Yeah, love it. That's uh, really interesting. You've prompted a whole lot of thoughts in my mind that I'm going to have to come back to and make some notes on after the episode. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes me happy. Uh, yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Jill. <laughs> this has been absolutely fabulous conversation. Now, where can people find out more about you, about Render, about the product, about the work you're doing, view that video, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? And of course, the easiest way to get me, because my last name is a little bit of uh, a bear, it's uh, at Dynamic Jill anywhere on social. That's the easiest way to find me personally. And if you listen to this, you have comments, you have questions, please follow up. It's such a joy to get to have these conversations. And it's a joy to be able to educate and share in the area that I am passionate about, just as I'm sure you all listening feel that same way about your areas of expertise. And for Render, there's examples, more information. Um, you know, we have the monthly newsletter that gives updates in AI, that type of thing at rendermedia.ai. Excellent. Okay. And we'll uh, obviously have show notes, uh, have links in the show notes as we always do. So thanks for that. So before we wrap up, Jill, what action would you like our listener to take out of today's conversation? One piece. Whatever one thing interested you the most or one thing that you're going to act on, because, I mean, it's always our hope that you get multiple ideas, yeah. right? The reality is if you walk away with multiple ideas in your head, they are all going to dwindle out and none of them are going to stick. But if you solidify one idea to research, to investigate, to learn more about, to do an action item, pick one thing before you go onto your next email check or podcast, it's going to benefit you and it would be such an honor and especially an honor if you shared with us what that one thing was. Mm, excellent. Yes, I'm looking forward to learning too. I know what my one thing is um, because I, I, I'm half distracted. I'm trying to remember it in my mind, but I, I will set it aside because I'll 
pick it up when I listen back again, but it sort of fits in nicely with an initiative that I've got underway anyway. And I thought, oh, that'll fit really well there. <laughs> so Excellent. I, I, love I it. might share that in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Jill. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, yeah. Uh, all the best for the future. I'd, um, I'd love to touch base again in a little while to see where this whole um, product idea with Render is, is headed and what, what's happening with it and also to um, learn about the data you're gathering right now and, and see whether that adds some further insights into this whole conversation. So all the best for the future right. and let's stay in touch. No, thank you so much. And I'll be more than happy to share. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed that really insightful, informative and wide ranging conversation with Jill and took something away from her episode, most importantly. So as you reflect back, on our conversation. Pick one thing that stood out for you, that interested you the most, just one thing, something that can benefit you, and take some action on that today. Take a next step on that to move that forward and experiment, and then let us know what you did. I'm curious. Jill's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Jill Schiffelbein. That is J-I-L-L-S-C-H-I-E-F-E-L-B-E-I-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Jill Schiffelbein. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Jill, as well as links to the Render Media website, to Jill's social media pages and any other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Jürgen, Jürgen, before if I can interrupt you real quick, right? For those people that have been listening to Jürgen's show for a while, or this is your first time, here's my request to you. When you finish listening to this, go and find a place to rate and review this podcast. Be honest and share it with someone you care about. The way that podcasting works, it's driven by being shared organically and the algorithmic way of reviews. If the system can tell it's being listened to, it will put it out to more people. And organically, people can come and find this that aren't connected to your networks. Hmm. That's my encouragement to you. Jürgen has busted his hum. He's doing it. He's doing it, right? He's putting himself out there and connecting with some incredible people. That's my encouragement to you. And the law of reciprocity will figure out a way to reward that action many, many times over. Thanks, Laban, for interrupting there. But good point. Also, make sure to get your episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the price of just a cup of coffee, you can have your very own permanent record recording, in fact, of this show. Half of the revenue from the episode token will go directly to Jill as our guest today, and the other half goes towards supporting this show and keeping our lights on here. Think of it as a way to show some love to Jill and tell her that you loved her episode. Thanks for listening. 
We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash Flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.